welcome to another episode of the Odd Zone, and we're doing something a little bit different this week. Uh, we're doing a phone cast. Normally, we're quote unquote in studio, which is really at uh, Kevin Moss's house, one of our co-hosts, and we don't have a proper place to record right now. And I'm sure you know that between COVID and logistical reasons, uh, it's kind of hard get into the same space at the same time so we decided to do one over the phone and it actually flowed a lot better so on this episode we're going to be talking about a few things the first one is um, cultural subversion which is something that Kevin and I had never heard of but Danny was pretty uh, pretty adamant about so he took us to school on it and it's pretty funny listening to Kevin and I trying to catch up uh, trying to get on the same page. But once we got there, it turned into a pretty lively conversation, which led into the next thing, which was about the uh, the cult known as the Finders, which began in the 60s, uh, became a thing in the 80s, and then ultimately disappeared in the 90s. Uh, FBI records were released to the world um, I believe in 2020 and we talk about it and that connects to um, the CIA it connects to Air America which if you remember the movie um, had a very young Robert Downey Jr. had Mel Gibson about a drug trade the CIA was doing in, during the Vietnam War, where we were flying drugs over, uh, making money off the sales so they could fund their operations. But officially that didn't exist, but it later it got revealed that it did, like so many things. Uh, so we go into that a little bit, and then that eventually leads in a very strange segue, but we make it to Kevin's segment about the Wendigo. And full disclosure, um, you're going to hear me say to him, like, hey, you know, tell us about this thing that we've never talked about on a podcast before. Well, the reason we're laughing at it was we got together a couple weeks ago and recorded, and it just was not a good day. Like, the three of us were all up our game, uh, not feeling well, tired, just, it was just not a good day. So, we recorded, it didn't go very well, and then the SD card on my um, pod track recorder crapped out the same day. So this is actually the second time we've talked about this. <laughs> um, but it went very well. It was it's really interesting and uh, it was really cool doing a phone interview type deal. It's the first time we've really tried that with the three of us. Um, essentially, I called Danny and then added Kevin to the line later uh, using my Samsung phone and this I've had it on my mind for a while to do phone interviews and that's definitely going to be a thing now um, if you hear that truck going by <laughs> I'm on break at work so we're going to try to work in some phone interviews at some point with uh, different groups, organizations, individuals that have some cool stories to tell but for now this is it, I'm just rambling um Welcome to the Odd Zone. I'm JD Kiker, and when we come back, we're gonna be joined by the legend known as Danny, and then 
our other co-host, Kevin Moss. So let's get into it. Now, we're going to try um, a group call here, but I've never done this before, so I don't know if it's going to work. That's what she said. <laughs> let's see. I'm hit the old ad call here. Um, recent. I called him recently. Yes, I have. Here we go. All right, it says it's calling Mr. Kevin Moss. You still there, Danny? Danny. Hello. Hello. Hello, sir. Let's see. We're uh, attempting the old conference call. Danny, are you there? I am here. Wow. Okay, that actually worked. Verizon didn't let me down. What's that? Can y'all hear me clear enough? Uh, good enough. You, you got a little popping sound in your uh, phone. Is your signal kind of iffy? Everything's iffy. <laughs> That's the truth. Uh, no, I'm using a pair of earbuds, so I don't know if it's them or the phone. Oh, there you go. You're coming in fine. It, it, was, it was probably just a little, a little thing. Never yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah. y'all take that joke. <laughs> All right, so um, we're going to skip. Wow, nice. We're going to skip the usual uh, intro music stuff. I'll just like record something later and put it on top of it. Um, this is going to be a. You're, li- huh? You're dropping out. I'm dropping out? Yeah. Can you hear me now? I can. can yeah. You? Okay. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um,. Anyway, this is one of those, like, let your hair down, do our podcast in our shorts kind of thing. So, uh, Danny, like, yeah, let's, let's, let's see what happens. So, Danny, you, you said something about originally it was going to be, you wanted to talk about, like, the X-Files. Or you had something there, but then that kind of fell through. So, uh, what do you got going on? Well, see, the whole problem is... When you hadn't seen a damn show, like you said, in 10 years, uh-huh. and uh, you try to flesh out ideas that you made when you were freaking sleep deprived, been up for around 32 hours. Right. Oh, fuck. That's, that's Kevin's knees <laughs> where he's getting up. Ski. Sorry, Kevin did in candy. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> Basically trying to make that shit work and not come through. So, um, okay. what did you fall back on then? Uh, basically the depiction of small towns and uh, popular media. Then and now. Okay. The oh. affliction of small towns in the media now and then. Is yeah. that what you said? Yeah. Uh, okay. Sure I heard it. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go for it. All right. What, what do you got? Okay. You remember how when all of us grew up, we got the typical boomer? The small town is evil and is always hiding something. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we've talked, we've all talked about this shit before. Yeah, kind of like uh, in it, you know, the small town's hiding something there, and that kind of thing. Yeah, 
it, friggin' Children of the Corn. It's also there, there in several episodes of the X Files when they go to the friggin' uh, suburbs and find the hidden evil cult. True, true. Or, or in the, the what? Orkies. Yeah. <laughs> or the friggin' one where they go to the damn small town and of course find. The town's infiltrated by vampires. As one does. <laughs> okay. Basically, with the X-Files, it's the typical order versus chaos shit that the damn boomer generation friggin' pressed upon us. Okay. They hated... They hated the existing friggin' structure or whatever, whatever you want to fucking call it. Small town suburbia where they grew up from the damn greatest generation. And so they thought it was evil. And it was always hiding something. So it was like that was their counterculture, right? Yeah. So, like, uh, it didn't really make sense for the X Files because you you had a cast that were both your age, Gen Xers. Okay. Or, but the show was written by boomers, and of course, you got the same Hollywood programming. Yeah, but um, the the writer, I can't think of his name. What was it? Crit Carter. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was. He himself was very counterculture to the counterculture. Like he, he didn't buy into any of that. You know the the order part, but the chaos. He also looked at like. A little suspiciously, like there's something wrong here too. So I guess that would make sense why somebody his age was writing something that, against what most of his peers would probably say is right. And the thing you get now is now that the existing structure has been destroyed, you get things like Stranger Things, which. Written by people my age, Jim Y, 79 to 89, they know what they lost. The friggin' small town, cohesive friggin' people that had a, you know, relatively common culture. Yeah. But they aren't typically allowed to say that. And what you end up with is a bunch of damn retro bullshit that basically acts as like a cargo cult. A cargo cult? Yeah. Mike, explain that. Yeah, please. You get the... You get a whole bunch of materialist callbacks like you did in a... What was that damn movie a couple years ago? Uh, Ready Player One? Okay. Then you, you get all those damn retro... Basically all this damn retro callbacks... It's basically like those damn uh, tribes in the damn Pacific after World War II that imitated the U- what the U.S. soldiers were doing in hopes that more cargo would come. Okay. That's basically what you have with uh, Stranger Things. They're giving you an imitation of what they think they had back then. Mm-hmm basically all the materialist bullshit, but 
you've still got the same, you still lack the frigging common culture, the lack of cohesiveness. It doesn't really show that because, hey, Hollywood can't show that shit. So you're saying that the like Stranger Things is like a callback to the way it used to be, hoping that everybody like it somehow will bring it back. Like if you can make yeah. it make it into the culture, like Hollywood tends to do things, but because we can't all agree on shit, it's it's not really going to happen. No. Yeah, that's the basic premise. Okay, Kevin, what do you think about that? Uh. I'm I'm kind of lost on what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> that's I mean, why that's why I went to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I am not following this at all. Now, don't get me wrong; I hear him. I just don't hear him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? It's uh, a little tough to follow along with, but you know. So, what is the bad part that you're seeing here? The like the lack of cohesiveness. What are we? What are you talking about there? A general lack of cohesiveness means, I mean, shit's just going to get worse. <laughs> Basically, everything the boomer generation wanted has happened, and even calling back to the materialist aspects of the 80s, I mean, it's not going to help, even if you're imitating what you were seeing. All right, let's let's take a step back. What did the boomer generation want in the first place? Destroy the existing culture of uh, the greatest generation, the silent generation. Which was what? Let's let's pretend somebody's listening to this and they're not you, <laughs> and they don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I kind of get where you're going. I'm just trying to get you to the place where somebody else that's listening goes, oh, because a lot of people don't know about that generation and like what America was before you know the the 80s and and before all of this so you know I'm trying to trying to build the bridge here basically before the all the friggin riots started in the 60s okay with the with the friggin boomer counterculture all right so what 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 was it like before that you had a cohesive country how so well, you basically had one culture. But did we? Yeah. yeah. How do you, how, how you say that? Because, like, I know my culture, The well, let's not, not say my culture because we're talking about the generation before me. But, you know, like my dad's culture was very much different than, you know, people that I know that lived in other parts of the country. I mean, culture, you talking about culture like on a regional level, or you talking about like... Um, National. Well, what I was thinking is like a moral level, you know. There was, there's definitely a difference in moral beliefs from the greatest generation to the boomer generation. I could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. You know, it went, it went from more of a we mindset to a I mindset, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, so, I mean, is, is that kind of where you're going at, Danny? That was talking about? Yeah, basically the generation that fought World War II and Korea or whatever versus and basically went along with it. They made the sacrifices. They grew up in the 
Great Depression, so they had to sacrifice. The boomer generation didn't have any of that damn sacrifice. They actively <laughs> fought against doing what they were asked to do. Like, let me let me see if I can reframe this a different way. Like, and tell me if I'm wrong, because um, I often am. Let's let's just keep going with the whole greatest generation for the uh, stereotype. Like that generation was more putting country first. You know the 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 collective, the group, the the country or whatever. Where after uh, Vietnam and all of that stuff, like by the time the eighties come around, that culture turned into more of me, the the individual. Um, it became less about serving your country and and the collective and your fellow man, and more about okay, what can I? How can I enrich myself? How can I do what I want to do? And if I'm hearing you right, the whole idea behind what they wanted to do with media and where they took things was let's start telling stories, um, celebrating the individual and celebrating sort of putting your you know thumb in your nose at the system and, and at the 50s sort of vibe. Is, is, is that kind of somewhere in the ballpark? Yeah, more or less. It's promoting degeneracy. Okay. So, I don't know if that's the word for it, but... Man, that's what the damn sexual revolution was. Promoting degeneracy. Killing the cultural norms at the time. I mean... I mean the, the whole sexual revolution was definitely part of that. But, I mean... There was a lot of people who were trying for, you know, you're talking about civil rights. You're talking about they're fighting for a lot of different things that are definitely against the norm of the greater generation, but they're not necessarily degenerate. You know what I'm saying? I'm focusing on more of the negative aspects. Okay. I got you. Okay. So there's, there's positive progress and there's negative progress. Okay, so we, I think we're kind of with you now about like that part. <clears throat> so where are we taking this in conversation? Like what? Because um, I, I think that's where we're both kind of lost. It's like we, we don't know exactly how to get into this conversation with you. I wasn't planning on it to be a conversation, really. <laughs> that's going to kind of go against the whole podcast platform. <laughs> Well, he wanted us to do individual segments. Well, it's individual segments where we have a conversation about what each person brings up. That was the other part of it. That's why I was trying. I was like, okay, where are we going? Um, so this is just more of a dissertation <laughs> than than a conversation. Okay. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't honestly know what to do with that. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean. Um, I can definitely see like the that hard move, like cause it's kind of going right now. I mean, you know, in the country, this is not to get political; it's just observation. In the country right now, you got a lot of different factors. But let's just say like two big ones. You got one going super religious, and Danny, you and I talked about this the other day, and you got another one that's going the direct opposite. It's like pendulum swings in opposite directions of each other. And in the media, what they're really pushing hard for is the very opposite of the the Christian religious side. And when you hear like make America great again, 
part of that is a callback to like the fifties to the greatest generation. Cause they actually, you know, will uh, refer back to that from time to time. So it seems like that same thing of the eighties. And actually, now as you mentioned, it's kind of ironic, but I'll get to that. The whole thing, what happened with the eighties is kind of happening again. And I was listening to a podcast with, a. Uh, it's Joe Rogan and Quentin Tarantino talking about that last movie he did. Uh, what was it Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah. And in that conversation, he, uh, Quentin actually brings that up. He said, like, he looked at the, what we're going through right now is like the 80s, uh, what do you call it, 2.0 maybe, that, you know, during the 80s, um, it was basically what Danny just described, but also a bit of, like, McCarthyism. Remember, they kept like dragging people up to Congress to, you know, why do you have these kind of lyrics in your songs and why are you doing this yeah. and that? Right. Because the pendulum had swung hard to the quote unquote right at that time. Well, now it's swinging the other direction. And he said, like, what's interesting is that um, it's the left doing it this time. It's, but instead of McCarthyism, it says it's like individuals are doing it to themselves. They're, they're guilting themselves, you know, following along the narrative that's being put out there. But he said it's very much kind of, you know, the same thing. It's just in the other direction. I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, it's when you got two different parts of the country that want to go like in these complete opposite directions and media that stretches across all platforms that is like pushing hard in one of those directions makes for a um, <laughs> cohesiveness is, you know, no, the word now is unity. <laughs> unity is not, um, it's not really on the, the agenda when you got something like that going would that be a pretty correct assumption mr danny well it's like uh, my generation still grew up and so did y'all in a relatively high trust society you know what i mean like trusting the government trusting authority trusting your neighbors you actually knew who the damn who your damn neighbors were back then now you've got people talking to each other in the same house via text yeah, that, house five minutes yeah, like literally, like couch to couch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that. That part is very true. Um, I remember, and Kevin, you tell me if you remember this too. Like in the eighties, like when Iron Eagle came out, you know, early eighties. Yeah, when people talked about like the office of the president, mm-hmm. we that was like you just believed in that office. It was. Um, something special, you know, it was like they treated him like a rock star and you just believed it. Cause that's, that's the, that was the culture back then. Um, you didn't, re- you didn't really question the, the military, um, the government though. I mean, I, I guess the adults did more than we did. We were kids, but it wasn't, a, the lack of trust wasn't there as much as there is now. Um, basically another thing I'm going to get at going back to the, whole cargo cult thing Mm -hmm. a lot of people in my generation the divorce and basically the damn latchkey epidemic that started with your generation accelerated with mine what is latchkey again basically where you leave your damn kids and let the damn tv raise them oh okay i got you (laughs) yep we did that (laughs) yep guilty To, to compensate for a lot of the their damn shortcomings i mean my parents weren't freaking Gen Xers. They were boomers. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I saw around to compensate for a lot of this was they showered you with plastic toys, cartoons, video games, 
stuff like that. You basically grew up like in the Truman Show. So you say it was a compensation for the fact that they knew they didn't know what they were doing or just, you know, we're not as good as the other generations. that kind of it? Yeah. Uh, you know, just, I can kind of go with that a little bit because <laughs> I've sort of heard that from uh, from my parents and, and, you know, stuff along the way. It was like, here, pay attention to this, not what I'm doing because <laughs> I don't know what the yeah. F I'm doing. <laughs> well, that and, uh, I mean... I was the oddball, but I grew up in a two-parent household. Yeah, it was odd. <laughs> yeah, we didn't do that. My friends, however, on the other hand, that were, you know, still my friends that weren't lower middle class, but if they were higher middle class and divorced, mm-hmm. their parents made up for the fact that they weren't around by just giving them them stuff. Yeah. Basic materialism. Yeah, yeah I, I, I knew a few like that. Um, and uh, that's what I was getting at with uh, Stranger Things. Because the guys are both my age, born in 84. You're talking about the guys who created the show? Yeah. Oh, okay. The show, them, they created it and they write it. Yeah. But basically, that's why you get a lot of damn callbacks with all the damn retro stuff in there. I mean, it's basically like freaking cargo cultism. They don't understand why they grew up in a damn relatively peaceful area. They just associate this stuff with what they grew up with. You know what I mean? The relative peace and all that. Sounds like a totem. You know, if, if you, you make this show, do this cartoon, wear this shirt, maybe the, the good times will come back. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what's... All right. Yeah, go ahead. So, let me clarify, clarify something real quick. When you say cargo culture, you mean the people who were giving a lot of materialistic things to try to make up for the fact that their parents weren't around? Is that the people you're talking about? No, I'm basically saying the shows like that, all this damn retro stuff, that's basically all that is. Okay. Cargo cult. So what's the the counter to this then? You know, if, if that's the way it is and Clearly, you're not happy with that. Um, <laughs> then what's the what's the counter move? Well, I mean, you see a lot of the. I mean, we've all talked about this before. With the, it just goes back into the whole damn thing of all you see is reboots, remakes, and all that other stuff. I mean the the counter to this is, I mean, you're basically going to have to do what you do with music now. If you actually want to listen to something good, you're going to have to actually search out for independent artists and read books and things like that. Because you're not going to get it from mainstream publishers or obviously, I know me and Dylan don't hardly care for any of the stuff from uh, mainstream movie studios. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get the odds, you get the odd stuff. Like uh, season one of True Detective, mm-hmm. but that's a real oddball. So, <laughs> um, would I, would I be right in saying the bigger gripe here is not so much about society; it's just the fact that they're producing a lot of crap that's not entertaining you right now, and you're not happy. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> this whole thing was a cry from Danny going, "Please make better shit." <laughs> I'm not well, entertained. 
If you want to go surface want... level, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do, because it's funny. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Society sucks, and, and there's a lot of improvement, but, you know, it's a lot easier to deal with a society that sucks when you got something that entertains you and distracts you from it. Well, that right there, you know, like you were saying before, in the 80s when we grew up, you know, the office of the president was respected because we had other shit that we were paying attention to and didn't watch what the fuck they were doing. You know, I mean, they did shady shit back then just like they do now. Well, not quite as shady as the last couple of weeks, but uh, it's just, you know, keep, keep the flock entertained and they don't see what you're doing. Right. And you remember when we were coming up, like, every movie that had the president in it, it was like, you know, God coming down from the mountain. You know, the music. And it was just this big, huge thing. It was... Unless it was produced by Mel Brooks. Do what? Unless it was made by Mel Brooks. Yeah, yeah, very true. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's that's its own universe. Yeah, you take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, big time. Um... It, it, that was kind of like our propaganda, you know, like the greatest generation had theirs, uh, you know, the war tapes and the, the cartoons and everything. Our propaganda was the propaganda of um, stuff, you know, cartoons and toys and shirts and pop culture and then Spielberg. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can basically call a lot of that the pop cult. Ooh, I like that. In. Yeah. I stole it. I totally dig it though. Pop cult, I like that. That never really went away because it's just like the what you you're selling is different over the generations, but it's still the same thing. Like they figured out, like, ooh, you know what? They quit looking at us. If we give them cool stuff, let's give them cool stuff. Yeah, that's it. And then the, and then we get older, we, we raise our old man fist in the air, like this stuff's not cool anymore. And they're like, shut up, boomer. And that's where you get that. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually true, but I'm just I'm going with it. Um, you know, the level of uh, expertise on this podcast is pretty low anyway. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do not come here looking for expert advice. No. We will lead you wrong every time. Yep, we've been leading ourselves wrong our whole life. You think we're going to do you any better? Fool. <laughs> Please join our cult and uh, sign up for Patreon. <laughs> we have that. Danny, I wish. Danny, what are you? Uh, what are you rebuilding? What are you rebuilding there? Yeah, we, gun noises. we've been hearing that clack for a while. I was thinking the same thing, like, oh, my God, somebody's getting taken out. <laughs> oh, I was cleaning, cleaning a gun. You got to imagine how that looks from our side, because, like, you're giving this rant against culture, and you're like, clack, clack, clack. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we have editing. <laughs> Uh, it's a uh, it's an airsoft gun, just for anybody listening. He doesn't own any real weapons. He doesn't believe in it. He's a pacifist. He's a Zen master. I am actually uh, a reform Amish person. Yeah, that's why he has power. Reform. <laughs> Reformed Amish. Hey, it works for, works for some other religions. I'm going to call myself Reform Amish. <laughs> You should do that at work. <laughs> I'm reformed. I was <laughs> <laughs> And if you don't believe me, <laughs> keep it to yourself. I like the, 
I like the boomstick. Yeah. <laughs> this is my boomstick. Yeah, but you know, uh, all right. So I agree with most of what you're saying there. Um, Kevin, like, what do you what do you think about that? You know, just the whole. Thing. Well, <laughs> you know, it goes like, for my take of what he's saying is, you know, it's less of a materialistic thing and more of a morality thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the greatest generation had a morality of, you know, God and country. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, you know, hail the chief and all that shit. You know, then when you had the 60s and you had the counterculture and had everybody, you know, going against the war and against the government and all that. But then during the 80s, you had a resurgence of the right, you know, people were coming back and trying, you know. But I think that comes from a lot of people like my dad who, you know, were in the military, served in Vietnam and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, they they kind of had a little more uh, longevity to them, you know. Those people that were doing heavy drugs in the '60s, a lot of them didn't stick around till the '80s. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah. So, you know, a lot, a lot of, of them uh, went. A lot of them went of, to education and entertainment. Right. They went into education, which means they went into obscurity because education was pretty much shit anyway. Yeah. Uh, Easy thing to fall back into when you don't actually have to produce anything. Right, right. When you don't produce anything of value, you know. Yeah, it's pretty easy to do that. Um, you know, I actually, in a weird way, have a, a good uh, segue here from what you just said. Um, okay. Do you remember when we first started talking about doing this, I said the topic I was going to cover was the finder's cult, which was something that happened in the 80s. The core of this thing actually goes to what we're talking about right now, and this was not planned. But as you were saying, I've got it pulled up on my iPad here, um, and it starts in the 60s, goes through the 80s, and then culminates in the early 90s, and then it all just kind of disappeared uh, up until yeah. recently when Files came out. But um, what happened here is that in the 1960s, uh, a commune, was formed of this group called the Finders. And it was created by a guy named Marion Petty. And it's... it's petty bastard. Yeah, he's a petty bastard, that Marion. <laughs> Made right. Marion the petty bitch. <laughs> he, was uh, he in the Heartbreakers? Um, he, the cover band. He was in the cover band. <laughs> <laughs> this is like every other cult. They start off with, we're going to change the world, make it a better place, come join us, the, the, the world is broken, and we're going to put it back together. And then you gather a bunch of people together, and then slowly start turning their minds and their hearts to the point where it no longer resembles the original mission statement. That's pretty much what this is. Like, Scientology did the same thing. Um, Hell, the Mormons started out that way. You know, a lot of it. So, that's what this guy did. And... Through the 60s up until the 80s, what he would do is he started this sort of, um, you'd have a bunch of quote-unquote moms. I mean, they would have kids, but it looked like they were also kidnapping kids. So a lot of the kids they had wasn't theirs. But they had these moms that would look over these kids, and they would train the kids to do the work of the finders. And the reason they were called the finders 
was one of the things that they did, among many things, was, uh, they, I think they call them headhunters now for business. You know, like you look for somebody with a specific trait, you send out these, what they call headhunters that will find people that recruiters. are like, huh? Yeah, recruiters. Yeah, recruiters, yeah. Except um, a lot of times the people they were hunting were not necessarily for like a job or for something good. Sometimes they'd just be like, we need somebody found. We'll, we'll find them. We got people everywhere, right? So they were doing that. They also got good at computers, uh, early computers and technology and stuff. But they were also living a bit off the grid at times. It was very weird. Um, but the kids, the rumor is that they were brainwashing them because uh, you know, they would kidnap them when they were like really little. But there's no actual proof of this. There was there, there was a little bit, and I'll get to it in a minute. There was only a little proof at first, and then it just kind of went, poof, bye-bye. Um, that they would kidnap these kids, brainwash them to do whatever they wanted to do, and keep them just as dumb as they could get them, right? Just only teach them what they need to know to stand up right, pee in the right place, and then accomplish whatever it is we need them to do. That's it. Just drones. Well, in 1987, February 7th, um, or somewhere right in there, um, this article came out about these two guys, Douglas Ammerman and James M. Holwell in, uh, I want to say it was Tallahassee. Yeah, Tallahassee, Florida. And, no, no excuse me, this was uh, 86 when it originally happened. That's the article came out in 87. So anyway, they were in Tallahassee. They were in this van, as bad guys are. And they're dressed up in suits. They're looking pretty, you know, pretty dapper. But then somebody notices that they got a bunch of kids with them. They're like, they got flea bites all over them. They look like they haven't bathed in a year. Their clothes are all tattered and torn and dirty. Um, street urchins is what they look like. And huh? they call the cops. The cops come up and go, hey, what's going on with your, your kids here? And they're like, oh, well, it's not our kids. We're actually uh, taking these kids to, I want to say it was New Mexico, uh, to, to the school for, like, gifted children, smart children. And that's like, well, right, well, show us some ID. We need to see, like, some relations to these kids here. And all of a sudden, they just clam right up. And they end up arresting the two guys and take them to jail. They take the kids in. And when they bring the kids in, a few weird things happen. Like, some of them, they were, like, really little. I mean, like, under the age of 10. They, they were walking around picking up stuff like staplers like they had never seen one before. Like, just normal stuff, they would walk around like, wow, what is this? You know, like, you could tell they had been kept in some kind of captivity. One little yeah. girl was just standing there and just started peeing on the floor. They, they said the kids were, like, pretty primal. Um, so they had the kids tested to see if they were sexually assaulted. There was some strong evidence that that was the case. There was stuff found in the van that um, – let them know that, like, there, you know, some kind of hinky stuff was going on. And this eventually led to, let's see, at first it was the, um, they got some addresses in Washington, D.C. Somehow or another, the, because um, all the documents, it doesn't actually document it very well, like how all the people got involved. You just know they're there. But the, uh, not the Coast Guard, we'd call it the uh, Customs. Uh, some customs agents come in. They get involved. So they go and they find this uh, these two addresses that were tied to this cult known as the Finders. And while they're doing that, like in Tallahassee, the uh, the little you know they send the kids off to be taken care of or whatever for a little while. I can't figure what they call it now. 
Um, that social and, services. Yeah, kind of like social services now, right? Um, they were just getting like death threats on like an epic level, and so was the police department. Well, all of a sudden, these quote unquote moms show up and say, "That's our kids," and uh, we we you know. We we support these two guys. They're doing what we told them to do. Everything's fine. We just have a different type of culture, but we're not doing anything illegal. And because these moms showed up, and I don't know how they proved they were moms to these kids, you know, but it's the 80s too. So, you know, they weren't as tight about this kind of stuff. Because these moms show up and say everything's okay, well, the case for kidnapping and all that falls apart. But there was still the little question of, like, sexual assault. What well, This is all kind of happening at the same time, right? And this is where the government comes in. Um, they they find these two places in Washington, and they go and look at them. And one of them is like a, a two-story townhouse, and the other one's a little farm. And when they look through the uh, – <laughs> I'm just laughing at Danny. When, that was a shotgun. Yeah, I'm shooting a mother lover. Um, <laughs> when they went and checked out the townhouse, there was like – this was early computing stuff time, right? There was stuff like how to – kidnap kids how to brainwash there was uh pictures of that farm of like uh cult like stuff like robes and pentagrams and all this different stuff and that led them to go into the other place and when they go and check it out um it basically was a farm that where they took pictures they had them basically like uh kill a calf or a, a cow or whatever it was and it looked like like a sacrifice, like you would typically think of. And so, like, oh man, we got it. We got the evidence here of this, and we got the evidence of cult activity, which is where, during the eighties, the um, satanic panic was was already in in effect. So they were like, oh my god, we got satanists, man. Like, you know, this this is it. We found them. Well, about that time, uh, orders start coming in to drop it. Because the FBI is involved at this point because it goes across state lines, right? So the FBI starts getting orders in, like, cease and desist. Do not look at anything else. Um, suddenly, the doctor who said that there was a sexual uh, assault, like, dialed it back and said, oh, never mind, I was wrong. Everything's fine. Evidence comes up, just disappears overnight, and it turns out it was the CIA. Uh, one CIA agent and one... FBI agent got into a conversation. The FBI guy said, are we stepping on anybody's toes here? And the CIA guy goes, yeah, sort of. And that was all he would tell him. And after that, there was no more communication. They just like, sorry, guys, you're out of the loop. Very quickly, everything just dried up. There was no more. Like the kids went on with the the moms and and the two dudes. And uh, the whole investigation just dries up. And there's no more evidence, no more looking. All the higher-ups are like, all right, do not look into this anymore. And unlike the movies that we grew up with, there was not that rogue agent that went and looked anyway and broke the whole thing down. It literally just stopped. Well, like I said, this is like mid-80s, right? Well, in the 90s, a, uh, a senator, and I'm uh, trying to find it. It's not in this article. I had to find it later. But there was a, a senator that became aware that the CIA may have been using children to uh, spread disinformation overseas through human trafficking so they would kidnap them here send them overseas to pedophiles across the way but on the way over they would tell them 
you know, quote unquote secrets that weren't right to spread incorrect information to our enemies. Very much like the CIA has been known to go and, you know, do drug, you know, entire drug Sound industry. Like Sound what? like Epstein. Yeah. Sound very, like Epstein. Yes, yes, very much like Epstein. Yeah. Um, and matter of fact, looking at this, um, knowing what we know about Epstein now, it's very possible that there could have been some, you know, crossing of the lines here. But again, this is this is the mid-80s when it's actually happening. The 90s... Um, Early 90s, like 90, 91, I think it was, when the senator brings it up, he says, I want a, a full investigation. So he does like the FOIA thing, uh, yeah. Freedom of Information Act. And so that's where we get all these files that have been released this last year, but they were actually done then. And when they started looking into it, it was when they realized that the CIA had come in and shut this thing down. And so when they really started digging, they found a couple of things interesting. Um one, Marion's wife was a CIA agent for over like 20-something years. His son, do you remember Air America, the movie? Mel Gibson and yep. uh, a very young Robert Downey Jr.? Yep. Okay. Um, which was like the illegal, you know, drugs, flying drugs over to Vietnam and stuff. He was actually part of that. Mm -hmm. He was one of their pilots. So you had a guy who was tied into the CIA because of his wife, who she was like an administrative. So she was there with all the files and knew all this stuff. She would have been um, elbow to elbow with people that they could make deals with. And then the son is mm -hmm. flying drugs, you know, all over the country in, in an organization that doesn't exist. And what basically comes out of this is that they figured out somewhere along the way, she probably approached the CIA and said, hey, look, we have our you know, family, our group. We call ourselves the finders. We can find anything, and we can, we, we're getting good at technology now because it's the 90s and early computing uh, at that point. Um, and, you know, anything you need, we can probably do, and I'm sure she was aware of the hinky stuff they were doing, and it probably didn't take long, according to theory, that they were like, you need kids? We can get you kids. You know, you, you need... Um, you need people for whatever. Well, we can find them. We can get them, train them, brainwash them. Been doing it for a while, and that, that's what it became. But that's actually as far as it goes because once they started looking into it, again, it just dried up. No evidence, no paper trail, nothing. It just disappeared. So it's just one big mystery. But going back to what Danny was saying and what we were talking about, this all ties into that. You know, this, this all happened during the 80s, you know, starting in the 60s with the counterculture, Vietnam War, then the 80s. And, um, you know, you got the government right in the middle of it during a time when, especially like you and I, Kevin, you know, growing up, and they're telling us, like, rah, rah, government. You know, we do no wrong. We are the good guys. We're always the heroes. If you don't believe us, watch the movie. And right. turns out, eh, not so much. You know, <laughs> there's always been hinky stuff and probably will always be, but... Yeah, that that's the um, that's kind of the story behind that. It's just interesting that he brought that up, and I I was looking at the wiki as you guys were talking. I was like, oh, well, f, it's like right here. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, yeah, actually, that's it. Got a segue for you on that. Okay. Do you uh, read that news article I sent you the other day? Uh, you've sent me like thirty things this week. Which one? <laughs> uh, the Bass article about what the CIA was doing in Afghanistan. Uh, refresh my memory. I've been kind of tired this week. 
Yeah, I didn't get it either, so. <laughs> yeah, it, but, he didn't read your mind. He didn't know it. Basically, the CIA, you, just to give some background, you know about the whole background about how uh, certain tribal areas in uh, Afghanistan like, basically like young boys? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the CIA was bribing tribal warlords with uh, Viagra to bring them on their side. Okay. Yeah. And... Um, you know, that's just going to make a hard situation harder. <laughs> that's why I paused. I was like, somebody else do it. <laughs> <laughs> So they were like, all right, look, guys, um, we understand it's hot, it's dry, you guys are under a lot of stress, erectile dysfunction, uh, you know, one out of every five, according to Robert Downey Jr., we got something for you. But what we need from you, what, what were they giving them then? They're, so they're bribing the, the, the warlords. What were they getting in return? Like, stop bombing Fighters people? against the Taliban. Oh, okay. They were the opposition to the Taliban at the time. Hmm. Wow. All right. <laughs> Three wonders. Okay. The... Good. Okay. So hear me. Hear me out. Hear me out. Uh oh. <laughs> you got the opposition to the Taliban. Mm-hmm. And you got the Taliban. Taliban's kind of winning this thing. So what can we do to get a better result? We make all the men sexually frustrated. <laughs> Go. Oh somebody my God. pitched somebody pitched that idea in a high level meeting and it was approved. Yep. I mean, you know, if it works, it works, I guess. I mean, it sucks for the, the boys. Yeah. yeah. I mean they were like, all right, we gotta keep these soldiers hard at work. Okay, I did mine. I got it another way. Yep. There you go. I feel better. I want womp. I feel better. That's just crazy, though. It's like, what other weird stuff are they doing to, you know, make these agreements and keep things together or whatever? Well, it's like we said. Governing bodies have been making up shit for centuries to get people to come together and work for the greater good of the leaders. True. So, yeah. Nothing new there, right? Yeah. Such as the story made up by the Aguape people to tell all their people about the Wendigo so that they would not be selfish and focus more on the community making it in the dead of winter. The Wendigo? Shut up. Kevin, what is that? We're not talking about Walmart. (laughs) Mumford? Anyway, so... um, so the the Wendigo, I've never heard about this before on a podcast. Tell us about it, Kevin. <laughs> All right, Dylan. Uh, we, we're going to keep our toes into the cryptozoological ocean here. As Danny prepares to gun. shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody... Make, what? I was just making a preparation in case... My, Dylan made another uh, Walmart joke about you know who. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Danny, <laughs> uh, 
how do I put this? There was a special someone. He says they, they weren't an item. She was a very big woman. Uh, masculine. Sort of like a hairless Yeti, which is what we <laughs> ended up calling her as Yeti. And uh, yeah, I, I, I used to pick at him, but that was his woman. And she was not. <laughs> but I still hold it. It could have been a thing. <laughs> so anyway. Full disclaimer. Yeah. Full disclaimer for all these CIA and FBI agents listening. None of us, nor Danny, will be having any guns going anywhere near Walmart. Yeah. Anytime soon. Yeah, we're not going to be hunting any uh, Yeti, Sasquatch, Finders, or Warlords with huge erections. <laughs> it's just Danny with his keyboard of sound effects. Yes, and his airsoft gun that he likes to keep around the house to scare away the neighborhood kids. That's right. So the Aguape. We're all going to jail. Yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. We're, we just got red flagged like 12 different ways from Sunday. Yeah. The Aguape people are not particularly a tribe of people, but a large group of tribes who all spoke a similar language. Okay. They were in the region of the Great Lakes, or the lakes that should be seen, as they call them. I don't know why. <laughs> Uh, so everybody knows when you talk about cryptozoology everybody knows about Bigfoot they've heard of the Loch Ness Monster, Chupacabra but once you start actually studying into this a little bit, one of the first ones that come up is the Wendigo which will probably refer to as Winnebago soon the Wendigo in my head it already has been <laughs> yeah uh the Wendigo is agreed by most cryptozoologists to be the most dangerous cryptid ever. Uh, mostly because its favorite food is human. Hmm. The, uh, they are described as being extraordinarily tall, long limbs, very gaunt, gray skin, very stretched tight on their bones. Uh, and they usually chewed off their teeth, or not their teeth, but their lips, so, so you can see their teeth. So no chat lips for them. No chat lips. They just went in and gnawed those off and got it over with. Um, <laughs> that makes my lips are, hurt just hearing it. Yeah, no doubt. They are believed to have a heart of ice. They are the embodiment of hard winters because you live around the Lakes that should be seas, hard winters is what you get. Hmm. So they won't be needing the medicine from the CIA then? No, they will not. <laughs> no, they will not, sir. <laughs> not if they don't want their pecker ate off. <laughs> right. Uh, so, these windows, the story has pretty much penetrated all the way into pop culture. <laughs> Um, it's been, here you go. <laughs> Come on, guys. I'm tossing up softballs here. You got to take it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's been on, you know. He said, great. Yeah. Yeah. Fire. Guys, I'm going to hold you responsible for the fifth grade humor in this, okay? I, I'm not responsible for anything that I'm aware of. 
<laughs> I'm not admitted to it anyway. Nope. <laughs> uh, okay, go. So, <clears throat> you know, it's been in Supernatural. It's been in everything. It's been video games. There's a movie that is creatively called Wendigo. Um, you know, it's been in just anything. The, the great testament to how far it is penetrated popular culture <laughs> is the Wendigo was featured in an episode of My Little Pony. What the? How do you fit a, a, a lip-chewing, methed-out cannibal onto My Little Pony? Good writing, so I hear. <clears throat> Hashtag. Son-in-law wrote this, didn't you? Huh? What? Kevin's son-in-law wrote this. <laughs> he doesn't have a son-in-law at this moment. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not at this moment. There was a, there was a thumbs up <laughs> approval, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, the thing is now, like, in preparation, I prepped for this guy. I bet I, you did. I looked, I looked things up and prepped for this. I watched five videos on YouTube. So it has to be correct. Got to be right. They were on YouTube, and there were five videos of where people have caught Wendigos on camera. Because you can't fake that. Right. Can't fake that. None of us know how to edit film. Right. Uh, <laughs> that might not be correct. <laughs> that might not be correct. <laughs> I think we all do, don't we? <laughs> anyway. To some degree. <laughs> yeah. So. I wouldn't use the word proficient, <laughs> but. We can cut stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll yeah, this on Windows XP with Windows Movie Maker. <laughs> oh my God! I just had a flashback. Hey, <laughs> hey, I can't say I got paid to edit some film, so I'm a professional. Um, I didn't say I was proficient. I said I'm a professional. All right. Bedroom videos. <laughs> Notwithstanding. <laughs> yeah, it was oral oral payment. <laughs> Yeah, so, could you, you could know, you like, cut this together for me? I hear in the future there's going to be a thing called OnlyFans. I want to be ready. Yes, I am. Cut the shit out of this video. <laughs> and they're still making damn turkey calls. Come, 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 come. <laughs> so okay, yeah, go go before we get sidetracked. The Wendigo. <laughs> yes. Uh, but there's all these people, they're saying there's sightings all over the country and all over the place. Right now. But the problem is, there are no Wendigos all over the country. They are in one specific area. They are very similar to what the Navajo called skinwalkers. Mm -hmm. but skinwalkers were, were different. Right, you right. Know, they just... So, also, if you look up pictures of the Wendigo now, you'll see them with deer antlers. I just noticed that. I'm, I'm Googling... <laughs> I'm Googling as you're talking. And yes, you're absolutely right. The only reason that deer antlers are on the picture of the Wendigo is because of the movie Wendigo. The guy who directed it thought it would look more scary. Who also admitted to never doing any research on Wendigo until after the movie was completed. Because I guess that's how you do that. Yeah, that's how you know? pretty much how Hollywood runs. Yeah, know nothing, make a movie, then learn about it. So... But the purpose of this legend from the Aguampe people, and I pronounced that correctly, uh, the purpose Iguanas? of this is, 
No. <laughs> the purpose of the story was to, as we said, keep people focused on the community because the ultimate selfish act would be cannibalism, taking another's life just to sustain yours. Right. It's kind of selfish. Uh, yeah. So they didn't like boomers either. What? Um, <laughs> oh, you're saying the, 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 wind, the, wind, the Wendigo were counterculture? Is that what you mean? Okay. No He's saying that the, uh, you know, oh. you're, you know, you're saying like that's it's like, you know, you're not serving society because you're eating people. They're like, F society, man. So in the legend, there are two ways to become the Wendigo. <laughs> Get this information out. <laughs> you were going to learn this I was- or I'm kicking your ass. And then you hear Danny. Never mind. <laughs> hey, I put myself on mute several times. And then, and then we're still here. <laughs> we still ended up in this spot with him on mute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go, 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 damn it. The reasoning behind this was to keep everybody focused on the community. There are two ways to be, that the legend says you can become a Wendigo. A Wendigo can attack you and turn you into a Wendigo rather than completely eat you. Okay. Or, apparently, it's so dangerous of a cryptid that if you think about it enough, you can become a Wendigo like that, too. So, everybody's listening to this is in danger of becoming a Wendigo. All yeah. five of them. You're, one, you're uh, one nightmare away from becoming a Wendigo. Right. Now, there have been... Parts of legend say that you can be in a human form and then transform into a Wendigo and then transform back and not remember what you did as a Wendigo. Convenient. Okay. But that, that part only comes into the legend around the 16th, 17th century, which was when the fur traders showed up from Europe. And the theory goes that through... The conversation of exchange of information from the settlers or the Native Americans and the fur traders, the story of the <laughs> werewolf got trained with the Wendigo. Go ahead. You said fur trader. He's thinking beaver. <laughs> hey, people big, big business. Beaver's always been big business. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's Ron Jeremy. It's so sad that without him even saying it, I knew exactly where he was going. <laughs> I've, I've learned. I've, great humor, guys. I, I can I can actually interpret his laughs now. This is oh god. <laughs> hey, that's the that's the pitch line of this podcast. The odd zone, useless information with fifth grade humor. There you go. That needs to be on a t shirt. That's what I've told everybody that I've tried to get to listen to this thing. And they're all like, that's exactly what we need. I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you need to know trivial bullshit with some fifth grade humor. 100% so, agree. Okay, so. As, as we can see, the legend of the Wendigo has kind of evolved since the beginning. But now it's, you know. A worldwide phenomenon. People are taking videos of Wendigos that, you know, whatever. Uh, but the point is... <laughs> like, whatever. 
<laughs> like, there was this one one man. He lived in Canada because it's all just Canada. Uh, he took his wife and their like five kids and his brother-in-law, mm-hmm. and they moved out. They moved out to this cabin, as you do in the wilderness, where there is fucking nothing. Sure. Uh, winter set in really hard and when the first thaw came this guy stumbles into a Catholic mission and tells them that you know his whole family is dead Hmm. they've starved and he's the only one that survived authorities come out whoever the authorities are in the wilderness of fucking Canada uh they shut so up. They What's this out? on the boots? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Dudley Do Right comes out. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> they're taking the guy's statement and they're noticing that his statement says he just spent like five months starving in the wilderness of Canada and his whole family starved to death. But this guy's about 200 pounds. So he didn't miss a meal. He ain't missed no meals. So he eventually get they go back to the cabin and on the way to the cabin he finally admits that he ate his family. And they get there and they find just evidence of this every fucking way. <clears throat> so they arrest him and they try him as they do in the Canadian wilderness. And his defense was that he was a Wendigo. It didn't hold water. This, this, has to be the, this has to be the precursor to the Chewbacca defense. The, I, the, the what? I've never heard of the Chewbacca. Yeah, I'm lost on that one. Go ahead. I am Googling. I got to remember it myself. <laughs> GTS. GTS. Jesus Christ. Bring up, a, bring up a subject and GTS. I'll get on that in a minute. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll be back to you. Yeah. Back to you, Skip. <laughs> Come around. We're coming around. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, how how do you... I can't imagine they're like... He's like, okay, listen, guys. Here's the truth. I'm a Wendigo. And they're like, okay, prove it. And he's like, fuck. Okay. <laughs> well, Chewbacca defense. In a jury trial, a Chewbacca defense is a legal strategy in which a criminal defense lawyer tries to confuse the jury rather than refute the case of the prosecutor. It is an intentional distraction or up... up Obfuscation. Obfuscation, okay. I, I get the the maneuver. How the hell did they get Chewbacca wrapped into that? Can you understand anything a- Chewbacca says? Okay. <laughs> okay, fair point. Fair freaking point. <laughs> but you know what you've done. Now you've given me more ammo for when I go to court. It's my lawsuit. <laughs> Every time their attorney starts talking, I'm going to go, Whoa! <laughs> It's like, so how'd the court go? Like, you ain't going to believe this. <laughs> I told my attorney, I am clearing my calendar for the next couple of weeks, and I am bringing all my bail money with me. I plan to go to jail. You need to know that. She was like, okay. I'm like, you don't realize the motherfucker you're taking into court. Because I don't give a fuck. As a matter of fact, I don't give a fuck and I'm bored. Yeah. It's chicken nugget week at the county jail. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, so Chewbacca tells them that he's a Wendigo. Yeah. And they don't believe they it. They don't buy it for some reason. Yeah. Haters. But it has been the cases, they've tried to make the case before going the other way. Like they would catch indigenous people who had killed somebody and they would go, like, that motherfucker was a Wendigo. That's why I killed him. (laughs) Okay. The first time this happened, they arrest this guy. He says, Yes, I killed fucking running weed over there because he's a Wendigo. And they're like, we don't know the fuck when to go in. So they take him to court. He gets found guilty. And that set the precedent that the French legal system applied to the indigenous people, even if they didn't know it existed, which is some bullshit. Whoa. <laughs> How do you even reckon that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. They, it, the court ruling was made that everybody in their the French territory was under French law, even if they didn't know it existed. And they had to put three or four people in prison or kill them because they killed somebody saying they were a Wendigo. And they're like, no, we don't believe that. You know? Yep. Tough shit. <laughs> Would you believe it or not? You're going in. Right. Okay. Wow. Well, yeah, it's like we have the whole like ignorance of the law is not uh right. Whatever you call it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and I understand that for me and you, American citizens. American citizen, <laughs> if we don't know the law by now, that's kind of our fault. You know, it's there. You can go find out what the fuck it says. But when you lived here your entire life and that's never been a rule, now it is. You didn't get a vote on it. Your representative didn't get a vote on it. It's not even your. Sudden, it's, it's not even your people. <laughs> yeah, it's not even your fucking people. Again, kind of moving back around to government fucking everybody. You know, these people just showed up and said, "Oh, you're under our rule now." I'd have shot that motherfucker with an arrow and said he was a Wendigo. <laughs> <laughs> Look at those lips. <laughs> there was also a psychological term called the Wendigo condition something. I don't remember that terminology of it. But it was people who consume or people who commit cannibalism because their mind is you know, they're mentally unstable in some way that that happens. So uh, so like they were saying like basically in today's parlance they identified as a Wendigo. Like, in their mind, they were a Wendigo, even though they didn't transform into a Wendigo, and that's why they ate somebody. Is that kind of in the ballpark? Well, well, they're just using the term for yeah. a psychological disorder. Oh, okay. But, but since then, everybody in the psychological community has said, that's bullshit. <laughs> so, <laughs> Say it ain't so. <laughs> nobody nobody uh, even uses it anymore. But, you know, that's just to say how far the Wendigo made it into our culture from just a story made up who knows when before we any Europeans even come to this country Mm -hmm. but that story has persisted through being told over and over and over down through the centuries until it was eventually written down 
But still, at this point, I've never, the only place I've read it is where somebody else is retelling what they heard. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, it speaks to the power of a good story, really. You know? Yeah, I mean, you got to admire the iguana, iguana, iguana people. <laughs> I love how culturally made, sensitive we are. <laughs> yes. They what made kills me is, They made up we, tales. To warn future generations of the boomer. <laughs> well, it killed, it killed me, though. They were talking about all these, this huge group of people that all had the same language and they could communicate. But they had 37 words for Wendigo. I'm like, How? why? Can't you just say it? <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you just have one? But there were... 37 different words, all starting with W, spelled different ways, and it all basically come back down to Wendigo and soap there. And don't eat, uh, the, and don't eat Chuck. <laughs> yeah. Don't eat your buddy. Yeah. No matter how hungry you get. Wow. And so, the French settlers fucked the indigenous people. <laughs> big time. Big time. And literally. You know, uh, you said that about the skinwalkers. Um, yeah. like those, if I'm, aren't they supposed to be like, they were like, uh, witches that like ancient witches or whatever. Like, and when I say witches, I don't mean like Instagram, witches like we have now, like we're talking tribal witches that. Okay. In, in the one paragraph I read about skinwalkers, <laughs> <laughs> they were, uh, shaman. That's the word. Thank you, Shaman. Yeah. And that's by far the guy. Uh, I will do Skinwalkers if y'all want me to, but I'm, I'm not there right now. Yeah, yeah. Cover cover that one next time. Yeah, the only thing I remember about it was like um, when the, uh, the the natives of like the particular area where the whole Skinwalker Ranch and the whole thing is, basically when they all like got booted off that territory, everybody was supposed to leave, but these Shaman didn't. They stayed behind. And of so through however they would do such a thing, transforming themselves into these skinwalkers, which they can change form. They right. they can be human. They can change to the form of an animal. Uh, typically, very huge, <laughs> um, you know, beast like you know, they're, they're kind of like the size of a, a Bigfoot, but they're more like a wolf. Um, right. Which is a big freaking wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's all I know about because one of those channels I follow on YouTube, um, he did one and it's that was you know, the part that I remember because I was half asleep. But it sounds interesting, like especially like Skinwalker Ranch itself. The yeah. sto the stories that come off of that place is pretty cool. That's that's definitely one to cover later on. The wolves, man. I want to do I want to do some research into the use of wolves in folklore and crypto cryptozoology mm -hmm. because there's so many creatures that end up going back to the wolves um the most recent one that i've heard of was in maine this family moved out to this property and uh they were on their porch one night about eight o'clock and they heard something out in the gravel and so they grabbed a flashlight and turned it on and there were eight wolves walking on by on their hind legs mm. 
and they commence to terrify these people the entire night. Uh, at some point, the husband decided he was going to get his gun, but they were in the house and his guns were out in the building. I don't know why you do that. Yeah, that's smart. That's, yeah. So anyway, they go through the whole night and these things are, you know, trying to get in the house, terrorizing and everything. By the morning, they're gone. Within a week, the two people that saw them are gone, and there is absolutely no evidence of this other than the telling of one or two newspapers that picked it up locally. Um, Now, in Maine, you know, they've got all kind of uh, haunted things in Maine. There's a state prison up there that's haunted. They do guided tours with. There's all kind of... uh, Haunted more, uh, horror movies get filmed up there, and they're very into this horror culture. So you would think that a story like this, they would just jump on and embrace it and try to build it up or whatever. But the guy that was doing the research that I listened to, because I did not do the research myself, uh, <laughs> he said he said you can't even find the house on Google Maps anymore. Like he took he spent two hours, and he lives in that area going on Google Maps, and he, he said, you can't even find the house anymore. It's like the whole thing has been wiped off the face of the earth. How long ago was so, the original sighting? Was it like a generational thing? Like it was that long ago? Is that why? No, 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 no. This was like early 90s. Oh, wow. So this is, yeah, this is not some ancient tale. These people are probably still alive. Well, no, they're not. FBI, <laughs> fuck. But, you know... <laughs> Theoretically, they should still be alive. I mean, it's like early 90s, and they were only in their late 40s. Hmm. You know, because uh, the husband had gotten hurt and had gotten disability, and the wife, they moved back to her hometown. She got a job. They got this house, and they were just, you know, going to live out their retirement years. But Not so much. Yeah, you know, this shit happened. Yeah, not so much. These things these happened, and, you know, like I said, they report, it got reported in the local paper, and then, a, like, a little bit bigger paper, like a regional. Yeah. And then this shit just <clears throat> gone. No more. Danny, isn't that where uh, Stephen King's from, Maine? Yep. Yep, that's where he's from. Huh. Well, what I was about to say, you do not want to go to Maine. It produced Stephen King. <laughs> that's how... That's that, how it, it literally <laughs> gave birth. <laughs> it's... Is that just like a period statement, or is there more, like, do you don't want to go to this part of Maine, or is it like the whole, fuck the whole state? I think you're just on the side of caution. (laughs) I agree. Just fuck Maine. I'm not going. Uh, Hey, he had, he wrote shit from uh, all over damn Maine. I'm staying the fuck away from that damn place. This is true. Like, Dylan, didn't you read his book on writing? I did, yeah. Yeah. The reason he writes such fucked up shit. And he had a horrifying childhood. He had a horrifying childhood. The area he was in was like just... What the fuck is... The hell was that? Did you hear that? Yeah, it was a car driving by. Standing in my yard. Okay. Yeah, on my end, that's it was just like a somebody's massive vibrator <laughs> just went off. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're right. Like the whole area, um, you know, everything that he wrote about was like some place that he grew up. He just changed it. Um yeah, that's like. I tell you what got me the, the worst. The worst story he told 
was when he was talking about he had that massive ear infection. Ugh. And his mom put him put him in the cab, and they go to the doctor, and they take that huge fucking needle mm-hmm. and stab it in his fucking ear to release. I was like, "Fuck that!" Yep, I'll yep. die. Fuck and, ha- and had to do it like two or three times, if I remember right. Like that yeah. wasn't like yeah, a one and done. <laughs> yeah, that was he was a sickly child, but yeah, but I mean he grew up on it. I mean he got hit by a van. It was okay. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Um. You know, another place that I hear about this, I guess it would be like the, the opposite side of the coin in a way, um, the Pacific Northwest. Like that place is rumored to be, you know, just as bad. Like it, I keep hearing stories of like, you know, Bigfoot in that area, uh, cults. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of Sasquatch. Yeah, Sasquatch, a lot of cults. You, um, your serial killers that are so famous, you know, Zodiac Killer and all that, like it's all along that, that area. Um, well, the Pacific Northwest has the most dense forest area in our country, in the United States. So it's so massive that, you know, when you, when we think about like Washington state, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I picture, you know, a normal fucking state. It's not Seattle, Portland. That's about it. There's, everything else is little bitty towns scattered out, and it's fucking forest, thick ass forest. You can get lost for years in these things. That's where a lot of the feral people stuff comes out of there. The wild you know, people, Sasquatches. Yeah, the wild people, the Sasquatches. Like I was saying, you know, it's very hot for those kind of things, and it's it's one of those areas where when you look at it, you just kind of go, "Yeah, I can see it." Yeah, you know, yeah. More to the point, yeah, because you can't walk. see, you, it's, anything could be there, yeah. Right, you know, you could just take off walking in the woods right there for a month, stop and say, this is where I'm going to live, and you never see, you know, modern anything again. Right. That's like the uh, yeah. missing 411 cases I was, I was telling you all about earlier in the year, where uh, all these different state parks and places like that, mm-hmm. where people will go hiking and will just up and disappear in like the most weirdest way. And that, yeah, that's definitely a place where that can happen. You know, you're, you're walking along, your buddy's behind you. You're just talking all of a sudden, everything goes silent and you turn back to look and they're gone and there's no struggle yeah. and there's nothing. It's just complete nothingness. And there was a, <clears throat> go ahead. I was reading a story about these three buddies. They were mountain climbing mm-hmm. on rope hooked together and they're going up and they're going up one, two, three. And they get to a rest point, one stops, two climbs up, and they look down, and three is just gone. Mm-hmm. The rope the rope is cut. It's just gone. So they immediately start rappelling back down the mountain because it's like, okay, something cut the rope. He's falling. You know, and it's just they go back down the mountain. There is no sign of him. There's no invention in the snow where somebody would have fell. There are no foot tracks. There are nothing. In a six or seven week search, they finally found his pack all fucked up in a cave way the fuck off somewhere else where it should not have been. Yeah, and that's that's a key point of those missing 411 cases is that wherever you disappear, there's the normal search radius that they're going to check. And almost every time where they're going to find either your remains or some of your clothes or whatever it might be, is going to be outside that range, usually in some place that there's no way in hell you hike to it. And plus it would make no sense for you just to take off and hike that way. 
and um, it'll be something like really odd like that. And a lot of times when they find people, they'll find their body um, sitting up against a tree or something like that. And you know when you get a uh, what's damn it, what's the term for when you get cold? Uh, you're, you're dying of frostbite. Frostbite. You know your your blood will rush to your extremities for a while. And then go back into the rest of your body, like as you're getting closer to death. So you get really hot. You think you're hot, but really you're freezing. So people will take their clothes off. Well, a lot of these places, it's you know it's cold. But what they'll find, and a really weird thing is like they don't just take their clothes off. In these cases, they take like their their jacket, maybe their pants or whatever it is, and they fold them neatly and set them beside mm-hmm. themselves instead of just like oh fuck this and throw it off. They're like, well, let me fold this, make it nice and neat. And then just put it out to the side and just sit there and die. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the missing 411, I think I might cover that one next time. That's a really interesting one. Another interesting one that uh, me and uh, buddy were talking about today, hiking trails like the Appalachian Trail, the Penhody Trail, the Continental Divide, mm-hmm. things like that, these really long tracks. There Hell, were... I... Huh? I mean, I told y'all about the time we found a homeless guy living out there at uh, Top Trails right before they opened it up to the public. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're right. I forgot all about that. Well, on these on these trails, especially the Appalachian Trail, which goes up the East Coast, up in North Carolina and uh, I think it was North Carolina and Virginia area, mm-hmm. they they were finding these bodies of people who were killed. And then they eventually put everything together, and there was a serial killer going out on the trail. Ooh. And he'd just go hiking. The first person he'd come to, he'd fucking kill him, and he'd hike back home and go back to his normal life. Absolutely no connection whatsoever. Most of those, actually all those cases are pretty much unsolved. So, you know, that's another thing that, you know, you got to be wary of. Some of those things, not only can you get out there and get, you know, caught up by something, you can get out there and get called up by a human, which is most of the time worse. Yeah. One of the cases I heard about, um, this kid got dropped off at like a little, uh, strip mall and some people saw him, you know, went over and got him and, and the police got called and the whole thing. And, um, as they're looking into it, they can't find his parents. And after a while, they find out that the they were all going camping in a certain area, and the kid's in shock at first. He can't talk. He, you know, he's, they're getting nothing out of him. But eventually, what comes out is that the parents take him to some place that I think the dad had gone, you know, most of his life. And they get up there, and there's this guy that apparently decided to live off the grid, and they got off into what he considered his area, even though it was um, public property, essentially. So he kills the mom, kills the dad, but for some reason says, you know, I'm sparing this kid. Literally took the kid, drove him into town, dropped him off so somebody could get him, and then drove back up to the woods and disappeared. And when they went up to find him, like, they could find where there was traces that people had been there, but they never found the guy. So he was that well hidden, even though they knew where to look. You know, and one thing that uh, I think a lot of people misunderstand like when we say wild people or feral people, mm-hmm. a lot of times they misunderstand that as these being uneducated people. Yeah. 
Now, like on a modern scale, yeah, they don't know Shakespeare. I don't but know Shakespeare. <laughs> you go into their area where mm-hmm. they live. Look at the like again. Look at the indigenous people that were here when we got here. They had never had, you know, any formal education, but these people were thriving. Human beings can figure it out. True. You know what I'm saying? You know, so like you said, if if they see some people and they're going to gack this one, they know, okay, last time that something like this happened, they searched out this far. You know, watching yeah. patterns, seeing how people act, and they just, you know, use that. Now, I'm not saying it's feral people that's doing all of it, but you see what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they can figure it out, yeah. Yeah, you can't just go on the assumption, oh, well, these people are uneducated and stupid. No, they're uneducated, but they're very fucking smart. I mean, you're in their playground. You know, that's that's their home. And yeah, I mean, they they know the places that even the people that go out there and hunt don't know. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, we definitely need to look into some of that stuff. That's that's some good, good stories. And like you said, some of those are real close to us. I mean, the the Appalachian Trail goes right over here to uh, Chiha Mountain, Penhody and all that. I mean, that's literally like, you know, just about an hour from where I think you're at. Actually, the head of the Penhody Trail is in Silicaga. Is it really? Yeah, I didn't know that. I thought it was in. I thought it was up at, um, you know, Oxford area. No, it comes through this area. It comes right through. I mean, less than probably as a crow flies five miles from my house to the Penhody Trail. But the head of it starts in Silicaga. <laughs> it comes up through here, through Piedmont, into Georgia, into South Carolina, and then up in there is where it actually passes through the. Uh, that other trail. Yeah, that one. That one. That <laughs> all, I, I remember now. all I heard was Peyote Trail. What I heard was it was a really long trail, and if you want to get to the head, <laughs> you got to go to <laughs> Hey, look, gentlemen, let's be honest. Aren't we all trying to get to the head? I'm just trying to get my head. Never mind. Never. There goes. There goes any sponsors we might have had. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we were planning to sponsors. Well, hey, I hear, I hear, I hear Ron Jeremy's looking for some good publicity. <laughs> yeah, what the hell was the deal with that? Uh, you said something like it was like twenty three years ago. This stuff was supposed to have happened over a course of twenty three years. Oh, like there's some I don't remember how many women. All these women are all of a sudden coming up with sexual assault allegations against Ron Jeremy. Anytime Ron Jeremy has sex, it's an assault. This, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, he's swinging the bat, you know. It's the freaking hedgehog for crying out loud! Come on, guys, shit. I and, mean, yeah. I don't know, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I mean, when when your job is having sex, do you really have yeah. to go and find it? I mean, right. It's your nine right. to five. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I only know of one girl that turned him down, but, you know, that's just me. Yep. Yep. You win personally, actually. <laughs> yeah. Danny, you've been oddly oh, silent. What the hell are you doing over there? He's cleaning shit. Blacks in huh? the pistol. <laughs> See that? I love the fact that we're doing a podcast, and I, I like, Danny, what are you doing? He's like, huh? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not paying attention yeah. to this thing. <laughs> Are we still recording? 
trying to come up with a Ron Jeremy Macaulay Culkin joke about what I sent y'all earlier, but eh. <laughs> <sighs> Home Alone? Not so much. <laughs> <laughs>